Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Memphis, Tennessee. Today is Wednesday, May 11th, 2022, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today, we're reading from the Big Book, and we're on page three in Bill's story. We'll be reading and commenting on the first paragraph that begins the next few years and ends in, I made a host of fair-weathered friends. Today's readers, and thank you for your service this Wednesday, Tenzin P. on the 12 Steps, Kelly I. for the Tradition, readers of the text, Harlan G., Marge O., and Susan S.H., our newcomer greeters, Reva P., and our second-hour host is Kathy C. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, May 10th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10,940, excuse me, 18,940. That's 18940. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, it's 18,941. So that's 18941. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to please read the 12 steps. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Uh, Tenzin P. checking in from New York. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 
Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tenzin P. And I will now ask Kelly I to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, this is Kelly I in Indiana, compulsive overeater with the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Kelly I. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Bill's story on page three, the first paragraph that begins for the next few years, 
and ends in I made a host of fair-weathered friends, and comments will be on that one paragraph. And I'll now ask Harlan G. to begin reading. Thank you, Lisa, and thank you for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and shattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends. This is the paragraph that I'm very honored to be sharing on today because this is what I call the top of the roller coaster. And the reason that it's the top of the roller coaster is this is the last of the paragraphs that we're going to read where Bill isn't doing worse and worse and worse until we get to page eight, and then he's going to get better because of something that's going to happen that's going to be very miraculous. This is a very exciting paragraph to study today also because it's May 11th, and it is on this date in 1935, May 11th, that Bill contacted Henrietta Cyberling in Akron, Ohio, from the phone at the Mayflower Hotel, and she was just expecting him. She says, sure, come on over, because she had been expecting a resource for Bill, for Dr. Bob's drinking, and there he was. He says, I'm a rum hound from New York, and without much hesitation, she said, come on out. Anyway, let's take a look at the paragraph. This paragraph is very revealing. Bill is doing very, very well. He's living on Park Avenue at this point. He's buying Lois a piano that she's always wanted. That piano is at Stepping Stones today. Many of you have seen it. Uh, he is buying her the finest dresses, furs, shoes. He's making a lot of money. He is extremely successful. He is one of the princes of Wall Street. He self-identifies as a stockbroker. He is not. He's a New York City stock speculator, and he's an analyst, and he sells his ideas to many. Now, it says here, my judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. Can you just imagine what that's doing for his ego? He is making suggestions, and many, many people are investing money based on his opinion to the tune of millions of dollars. Let's take a look at this. It says, drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. It hasn't boomeranged on him just yet. Everything is going well. We're going to see in the next paragraph tomorrow that he is going to give up everything that he has worked for, the friends and a lot of the success, because they're going to get on him and he is going to choose liquor over everything he has ever dreamed about. So the question remains, do I think like Bill thinks? Yes. Do I eat like Bill drinks? Yes. It says there was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and 
shattered in millions. Part of the illness is the big fantasy of what's going to happen. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. Things are going well for Bill Wilson. And for a while, when I was a little child, a candy bar, an Oreo cookie, a Chips Ahoy, man, it would get me high as a kite. And did it work like magic to make me feel better. But then it turned on me and it burned my life to the ground. And it is only by the grace of God and this fellowship and these steps and this book that I'm still alive today and living a life that's worth living. And we're gonna, I'm going to pass with that. And Lisa, thanks again for your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan, for getting us started. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience, too. So if you've shared on any of the vision meetings on Monday or Tuesday, we ask you to hold back. And who would like to share on what was read this morning? Davalyn E. Reva P. Jim K. Bonnie B. I think Jim K. Bonnie B. Sarah L. Sarah. Okay. Let me tell you what I have, and you can tell me if I missed anyone. I have Davlin E, Reva P, Jim K, Bonnie E, <coughs> Dara L. Is there anybody else? Excellent. Davlin E, you're up, followed by Reva P. Good morning. This is Davlin E from Manitoba, Canada. I was sort of whacked in the face when I read this paragraph this morning, and the lines that stood out to me were, I had arrived, and the line that says, seething and swelling. And when I read this, I remember after my first little while in OA, and I had reached my goal weight, and I knew all the steps, and I was checking all the boxes, and I was sponsoring people, and I was the queen. And of course, I was just checking boxes. I had done what I was supposed to do. I followed my sponsor's directions. And I, I, I was a success. I was a success in OA. And then, of course, I was humbled because I kept turning to food and kept turning to food. And that's because I wasn't taking my direction from that power from that higher power greater than myself. And so this paragraph just humbled me, reminded me once again that as long as I'm in charge, things are not going to go well in my life. I'm going to keep on hurting people, stepping on their toes. I'm always going to have problems. So I am so grateful for the reminder this morning, and I thank you all for listening. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Davilyn E. And Reva P., you're up, followed by Jim K. Just getting my timer. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I so relate and love this paragraph. First of all, the sentence, I had arrived. You know, the, the word arrive means the conclusion of a journey, getting to the destination. And... It was always about getting there. When I get there, when I achieve that, when I earn this, when I get that, then 
life will be great. Um, and, and happiness and peace and contentment was always somewhere in the future over there. And then you know what happened? Every time I got there, it, that, that joy lasted like a few seconds, just like the high of, of the foods, ingredients, and behaviors that gave me that hit. Um, and then it didn't do it for me anymore, and I had to get somewhere else, and I was always going somewhere. And, um, you know, even in program, I can think, you know, when I get to the end of the steps, um, when I'm living in 10, 11, and 12, then life will begin. And there's no, there's no, um, there's no arriving. There's no arriving. It's a continuous unfolding, um, developing, seeking, and that does not come naturally to me. I always go for this elusive arriving over there. Um, so that really struck me. Um, and the second thing that struck me is like, this is like a no God paragraph. Like everything is um, what Bill thought was like the ultimate. What Bill thought, you know, um, being of usefulness was. Um, what Bill thought, you know, his friends should be. And they were superficial friends. It's all self-driven. Um, so, you know, at the heart of the illness, way more than the substance is this selfishness where I go and direct my life and I decide what I need to do, who should be my friends, what I should do for work, where I should live, how much money I should make. Um, and, and it's not about that. Um, and I love in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about, you know, having to be number one to cover up my deep lying inferiorities. And that true ambition is not what I thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully, walk humbly. Humbly. This is like the opposite of humble in this paragraph. Humbly under the grace of God, where God tells me, what kind of work should I do? How can I be useful for people? You know, who do I need to interact with? And it's all God-directed. So such a great reminder. You know, yes, I can reach this crescendo when I'm self will run riot, but then, like it has been shared, I'm just going to crash. Like the roller coaster is going to go way down. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you, P. And Jim K., you're up, followed by Bonnie B. Hi, good morning. This is Jim K. from Illinois. For me, this paragraph uh, harkens back to the opening paragraph of the chapter that started off uh, in all capital letters, all caps, the words, war fever, war fever. And that opening paragraph, it, it absolutely was also a no God paragraph. It, it used words, applause, excitement, making us feel heroic, moments sublime. And in that first paragraph, he, he introduces, you know, the alcoholism. And now in, in this paragraph this morning, here we go again. It's not war fever. It's it's money fever. It's it's a no god paragraph fever. It's it's money and applause, and uh, you know the addiction is now progressive. You know he introduced it earlier, but now it's an important and exhilarating part of my life. So I think about you know what what are the fevers that I'm caught up in. So uh, you know. Um, First of all, these, these, you know, fever is, is, is a disease, it's illness, it's, it's, uh, um, but, but, these, but these things, you know, the money, the applause, you know, my community, if I meet somebody on the street, there's just this, hey, I'm successful, 
tell me how successful you are. Hey, and your kids, tell me how successful they are. Let me tell you how successful my kids are. And, you know, the advertising industry and social media just sort of fill this, you know, no God paragraph fever, um, you know, fill that hole, you know, look like this, take this, buy this, be angry at that. And um, it's not just the food we ingest, but it's, you know, what we watch and what we read. So, so this is why I keep coming back to this community first thing in the morning. You know, this is, this is another way. It's, uh, uh, it's to replace that, you know, no God existence with, it, it gives us purpose and meaning. Um, and it's, and it's become an important and exhilarating part of my life. Um, and that, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jim K. And Bonnie B, you're up, followed by Dara L. Good morning, everyone. Bonnie B, gratefully recovered from the state of Minnesota. Thank you, Lisa, for your service. Thank you for um, the intro, Harlan. I love the history on all of this stuff. Um, yeah, so this is a little different twist maybe for me. So when I read this paragraph, I instantly thought about um, a life filled with diets, right? Um, and there were seasons in my life where it appeared as though um, I had arrived because the diet or the workout program seemed to have work um, until it didn't. And, um, you know, the time that I spent putting into it, you know, it says drink took an, an important and exhilarating part of my life. Diets took up a very huge part of my life. Um, and it was exhilarating at times because I did pair up with the same group of people over and over and over in pursuit of um, that elusive number on the scale or whatever else it would have happened to have been at that time. But it, it was, it was all-consuming. I didn't realize it, but it was all-consuming. Um, how much time have I given to this? Oh, my word. To the pursuit of this thing that was empty in the end, um, hours and hours and hours and did I have people on the outside look at some of the crazy stuff I did and think you are nuts? Absolutely. Did I heed counsel? Absolutely not. Scoffers could be damned, right? And what did I do? I made a host of fair weather friends, same group of people who just jumped from one thing to the next. So this chapter for, for me is about asking myself, you know, do I see myself in Bill's story? And the answer is yes. For years and years and years, I circled that mountain, hoping to be able to like get to the top and stay, and I could not. I could not, and I could not because, because as someone shared just a few moments ago, um, God wasn't any place in it. There was nothing about God in it. The, the, the goal in the end was all about me. And so coming into this program is where I found my freedom. Um, my relationship with God, I had that coming into the program, but God was not um, at the head of my program. He was simply, um, he was another box on my list to check off. And so now I wake up, as, um, as the other speaker said, and I start my day um, plugging into God and plugging into this program and asking myself, how can I be of service to you today? And my intent is to do for others versus um, doing for myself. And the most amazing thing is that, um, yeah, in the end, you do end up where you're supposed to be. And exercise isn't really even in the top 15 right now. So um, thank you so much, everyone, for your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Bonnie B. And Dara L., you're up. 
Oh, great. Thanks so much. I'm Dara L. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Philadelphia. Um, and today I might as well just call myself Bill Wilson because, like, this is my story. Um, money and applause. I was thinking about how in, um, I used to actually work for a hedge fund. And um, so, you know, I was making a ton of money and I was dealing in a ton of money. And I had a $300 a day food habit, um, you know, and I, w- I was killing myself. And um, for me, you know, this idea, this illusion that I had arrived was all about like, what, what am I going to get on the outside that's going to fill the void on the inside? And, um, you know, from on the outside, I had some amazing moments in life and, and really some amazing, quote unquote, accomplishments. Um, but for me, it always felt so, so, so empty because there was nothing inside of me that was sustainable. There was nothing, like no connection to anything spiritual, no connection um, to anything having substance. And so I chased, you know, I chased whatever it was, money, applause, like, you know, the perfect number on the scale, the career success. And, and for me, you know, I got some of those things. I got some of those things that I thought would make me feel okay about being me. And it just, it never lasted, you know, it, it, it never lasted. And there was so much pain for me and living in this cycle where I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd restrict and restrict and restrict and my, you know, and get like more and more and more stuff and more and more applause and more and more, you know, accumulate all this, um, these accolades or whatever. And then it would be unsustainable. I would feel empty on the inside and I would retreat from life and just go into the hole of bulimia, like the, you know, the vortex of binging. And, and I spent decades doing that. And, um, And I just want to share, you know, in this paragraph, it says, you know, I made a host of fair weather friends. I was the fair weather friend. You know, I, throughout my life, I've had many wonderful, loving, supportive people who have wanted to be, you know, friends and wanted, and and I used those people. I burned through those people. You know, when I think about my life, I'm 38 and I have, um, I have like two friends that are outside of this program and, uh, and you know, both of them were made within like the last three years. Right. And so what is that about? And, and it, for me, it's because I, I, my primary relationship was with food. Like that was, that was the thing for me and anything that I got on the outside, including people and relationships, all of it was disposable. I would sacrifice whatever it was on the altar of this disease. And so it's really important for me to, to remember that like, yeah, I think other people are the problem, but you know, it was always me. It was always my chasing and it was always my, you know, purging of binging and purging of life and of people as well as food. And thanks so much. I'll pass. Thank you, Dara L. And um, this morning we are on page three in Bill's story, sharing on the first paragraph that begins for the next few years and ending, I made a host of fair-weathered friends. And who else would like to share this morning? Blanca BG. Blanca. Carmela G. Carmela. Cindy P. Cindy P. Vanessa G. Vanessa G. Don. Ken WH. I think I heard Don. Ken. Yes, Don B. And I got Ken too, yes. 
Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Let me tell you what I have. I have Blanca BG, Carmela G, Cindy P, Vanessa G, Don B, and Ken WH. Great lineup. Blanca B, you're up, followed by Carmela G. Good morning. Can I be heard? You can. <clears throat> Good morning. Thank you, everyone, for your service and everybody's on the line. This is Blanca PG from Florida. <clears throat> you know, this this paragraph um, really is amazing to me, not just for what it says, but for what uh, what is underneath it. You know, he talks about how life was getting this and that and running with a great crowd and making all this money. But <clears throat> what, um, you know, he... He doesn't expound on, and we all, you know, I know it was there, you know, because I, I lived it is, um, you know, I was thinking about the word use, how appropriate that is, and because when addicts say I'm using, you know, that means we're using our substance, whatever that may be, but we don't just use substances, we use people, and and, you know, that for me, I did, for me personally, this is my story, may I say that, and I mean... I just barreled my way through people and left behind me wreck and ruin. Um, you know, I'm thinking of my 20s in particular, without any regard for the feelings of others and, and the selfishness that I look back on now was astounding. And uh, I just wanted to say that I, I was watching a show the other night and there was a scene between two addicts and they were fighting. And one of the addicts says to the other, and this this is a little bit crass, but she said, "You're, a, don't tell me you love me. You're a spirit whore. You know, you just suck the life out of people." And boy, I'll tell you, I almost the remote almost dropped out of my hands because that's what I was. I was a spirit sucker. You know, I just sucked the spirit and the life out of others, and that also comes along with that high of, uh, oh, I've got everything now. You know, as long as I've got, Bill said, as long as he had his liquor. Well, with me, it was as long as I had my food, as long as I had, you know, uh, had the ability to use others around me. It was, and it was a high. People ta- have already talked about that. About what, it was exhilarating. And um, as a result, I've I've had to live with that, or shall I say, I've through the, the grace of this program, I've had to learn to live with that. It's a lot. It taught me. I every day, I get another lesson on how to learn to live with the wreckage of my past. And um, that's another uh, phrase from OA that I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being able to say it any better than that. The wreckage of my past. So um, but thankful to the grace of this program, I've learned how to move on, to leave my past where it is. Not to forget it, but to leave it where it is. And not take it with me because it won't let me walk. It won't let me move my legs. I'll stay stuck. But gratitude, grace, and acceptance. Thank you. On that, I'll pass. Thank you, Blanca BG and Carmela G. You're up, followed by Cindy P. Good morning. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your service and for everyone on the line this morning. My name is Carmela G, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from New York through the gift of my higher power that I call God. How did I feel like Bill? How did I feel when I said I had arrived? 
Oh, yes. I wanted those credentials after my name. I wanted the apartment in Manhattan. I did the geographic relocations. Everything, everything was coming from the outside in. And I would go off to work to a very wonderful job with a great title and get accolades. And when they would, when my staff would say, good morning, how are you? Wonderful, wonderful. That facade, that mask, the things coming in from the outside were filling me, I thought. But when I would get home at night and wash the makeup off and change my clothes, and I was alone. Food took on an important, exhilarating part of my life. It filled that emptiness. And I thought the food was my best friend until it began to kill me, destroy me. And it became my only friend. And that is what I realized today this program has taught me the biggest gift comes from within and that is given to me by a power greater than myself and everything has to come from the inside out from my heart the honesty the truth and it doesn't matter if I have the makeup on or off I am truly loved by a power greater than myself And I can give that love to others. And that is our primary purpose, love and kindness. And that's how this program has taught me how to live. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carmela G. And Cindy P., you're up, followed by Vanessa G. Thanks so much for your service. Hi, everybody. Cindy P. from Long Island, New York. Grateful, compulsive overeater. Yeah, uh, you know, the the word that jumped out at me was exhilarating. And I was thinking, you know, I can, I can, I can picture myself, I can, I can feel it still. Um, You know, the uh, binging and, and uh, the use of food was, uh, it was, it, 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 because at the time, uh, you know, there were times, there were times when, it was just so pleasurable and the pleasure outweighed the pain, you know, until it didn't anymore. Um, and, you know, as many, many have shared, you know, the, even, you know, the exhilaration, like I remember um, the first time I went to the commercial weight loss program that um, for the first time I was successful. Well, no, that's not the first time I was successful dieting. I've been successful dieting, you know, numerous times. Um, but I rem- I can remember, you know, getting on the scale there and it was like the celebration. It was just, you know, it made my day. It made my week. Um, it was so exciting. And, you know, <laughs> being the compulsive overeater that I am, you know, the night after I weighed in on a Thursday night and that night after, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily binge, but I would be like, okay, so now I can have whatever I want tonight because now my points clock starts again tomorrow, you know, and um, so uh, so that really that really jumped out at me, and um, um, you know, yeah, the you know the but the and and the thing is that 
you know, I then and any other time I dieted, you know, I'd I'd get to my goal weight and be there for five minutes and then, you know, I'd start eating again, uh, start overeating again, even when I wasn't necessarily binging, even when, and, and this was, you know, before I ever knew that I was a compulsive overeater. Um, and I just want to say too, I absolutely loved and so appreciated the mention of today's date and historically, because I love, love, love the history of the program of AA and Bill and Bob and the connections and everybody. And it's just, you know, it's so, um, it, it just really meaningful to me. And I really, really appreciated hearing and, and I did not know the significance of today's date. And so I really appreciated hearing that. So very gratefully um, recovering, um, recovering, living, living the program today. I'm very grateful. So thanks for witnessing me. I pass. Thank you, Cindy P. And Vanessa G., you're up, followed by Dawn B. Hi, everyone. This is Vanessa G. from New Mexico. Um, Every time I read Bill's story, I find more and more parallels to my own. And um, this morning, what I was really thinking about was when I was in my 20s, I got, I had finished my night courses and I had been promoted back up to my hometown. I had, um, I owned a house, I had a paid for car and now had a career. And I really looked around at everything else and I thought the only thing that I haven't addressed is my weight. Um, I had at that point in my uh, mid twenties had gotten up over 300 pounds. And when I came back to my hometown, there was another coworker who had shared my addiction and she asked me if I wanted to go to an OA meeting with her. And not wanting to look like I didn't want to do anything about this weight of mine, I went with her. And I sat there for an hour and a half and listened to a woman tell her story. Um, what I remember about it was is that there was she talked about drinking syrup off of the floor. And then the table, everyone went around the table and shared. And I walked out of that meeting thinking to myself, this isn't for me. This isn't me. Um, I just haven't seriously dieted. These people have problems. They have emotional problems. They have mental problems. This is not me. And I signed up for a liquid protein fast. And the obsession... Um, part of the disease began to take an important and exhilarating part in my life. Um, I thought that I really had the answer. Over the next year, I lost over you know over 100 pounds, almost 150 pounds. I started to look around and say, you know, I've done everything that I was supposed to do. Look what I look at me, look at me, look at me, and everyone was giving me accolades. Um, it, I had no clue what was going to ensue from there, what my life was going to be like um, from there as far as my addictions were concerned. And, um, and over the next few years, just like Bill, my life went up and down and up and down and up and down until I finally found um, a spiritual answer. I'm just so grateful for that. I um, look at this and I think about how cocky I felt at that period of time, how on top of the world I felt, 
how I thought I had all the answers. And, um, and I had to let go of all of that to come to the place where I was able to find the answer, the spiritual answer, the 12 steps, and um, recovery. Thank you so much for everybody on the line today, for everybody who's ever sat in a meeting with me. And um, I just really appreciate the message that was brought to me. Um, By the way, my friend who took me to that first meeting ended up dying of this disease. Time. And um, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Vanessa. Um, Vanessa G. And Dawn B., you're up, followed by Ken W.H. Good morning, everybody. Dawn B. from Nebraska, compulsive overeater. Thanks, everybody, for all your service and making this call work. And a little nervous, first time I've talked at this meeting, and my ego always wants to take over and say, be sure you say something profound, because I want that applause, just like what it's talking about. I get addicted to that applause. And at first, when um, Harlan first read this paragraph, I thought, yeah, this doesn't really apply to me. But what I realized is I... The when you begin, when I began to lose weight, it was that moment where people started to notice. And for me, it's I don't know, 10, 15, 20 pounds. And then that applause is is just nonstop. And that's what used to keep me going and really get me excited. And whatever new diet, whatever food restriction plan I was trying. That was, um, that's what let me put down the food temporarily and pick up the applause and the accolades that people were giving. And even when it's um, the sentence about um, drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life, that was absolutely what I was addicted to was that exhilaration. And when you think about loud talk and the jazz places uptown, for me, that would be, oh, my gosh, there's a new book out on a diet. Or, oh, I just heard somebody at work and and they're trying dot, dot, dot. And anything like that I was listening to and laser focused on and just trying to figure that out because that's what it was. It was it was the problem. Food was always the problem and, and the solution. And just to fast forward to this life in Overeaters Anonymous and just waking up in the morning and not shaming myself for whatever I did yesterday and every single day waking up and thinking, okay, today will be it. Once you can quiet that food, um, that just opens me up for a connection with God and I think about those times in my life where I was in my mind successful at weight loss, that that insanity never went away. Those thoughts, that white knuckling, that never went away. And to be able to live a life now where that's gone away, that just opens me up for all of that free time to connect with others in the fellowship and God. So just thank you all for everything that you've said and done. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Don B. And Ken W.H., you're up. Thank you, Lisa. This is Ken W.H. from North Carolina, recovered compulsive overeater just for today. Um, so grateful to uh, beautiful shares today, uh, very profound. Um, and I appreciate Harlan's image of the roller coaster right at the top. 
I, for a long time, was a roller coaster nut. And we go up to Cedar Point in Ohio, the roller coast of the United of America or something, and just rode the roller coasters constantly. And there was one day that it had rained and a lot of people were gone and the park was half empty and then it got really nice. And I rode a roller coaster. It was their biggest one at the time. And I got to, got off it, walked at the front, back into the line and got back on it again. And just over and over and over again, seeking that high. And, you know, it just got number and number and number. And, uh, started to I just couldn't reach that high again it just didn't feel the same but I kept chasing it and that was the same with food I just wanted to get that that next high that next buzz that that just really set me off and uh, I was living in a fantasy world um, I really was I had all kinds of wonderful dreams for fancy sports cars and uh, that sort of thing and living the high life and uh, it got lower and lower as time went on uh, got to that place where I went down the roller coaster chute and then it flattened out and then it just started downhill after that it didn't go back up and uh, that became a really really uh, ongoing repeating cycle um, I, I did it with food I sought the most dense uh, high producing food I could find. Um, there was, uh, just the, 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 the fatter and the sugarier it was, the better. And it was killing me. And it wasn't until I got here after many years of recovery in another program and even in this program, but it wasn't until I got to this vision meeting, uh, almost two years ago now, uh, it changed my life. And and it's it's from people like all who have just shared this morning, uh, from Harlan through all the rest, uh, that have just changed my life and uh, have brought to me a freedom. Uh, <laughs> I'm just choking myself up here that I that I just couldn't have even imagined. There is no roller coaster high enough. There is no food thick enough <laughs> to to match what I feel today. Uh, and that's all I got. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Ken WH. And um, we are um, on page three in Bill's story, and we read the first paragraph beginning for the next few years and ending in, I made a host of fair-weathered friends. And we probably have time for three or four more shares. And who else would like to share? Vasa O. Okay. Amy. Anybody else? Lisa D. Lisa D. Let's go with Vasa O, Amy G, and Lisa D. Vasa O, please share with us. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Thank you, Lisa, for your service, and thank you, everybody's service this morning. And I really love um, Bill's story, although I remember my sponsor, I didn't, want, I didn't want the big book because I was not an alcoholic. So she said, well, just press, cross alcohol and put food on the top and just read, read the stories. And uh, I had 
um, you know, looking in my life, I, you know, I had achieved a lot of all my dreams. I had a boyfriend. Finally, I married. We had a child. We had a house. We had everything that I wanted in those years. But the mo- one of the things that I want, I wanted the most was to lose the weight. And I've been struggling since I was 15 years old till I was 41 years old when I came to the 12 steps. To me, arrived means finally I arrived arrived to a program to help me with the food addiction, with the solution and the 12 steps. And that, to me, that's finally after trying to put the food down for so long, so many years, fighting the food, being on the roller coaster, try to put it down, pick it up, try this and try that. Everything that I've heard, I've, I tried. The only thing I didn't try was to go to a hypnotist or to have my stomach stapled in those days or the, the jaw wired. Those were three things I thought about, but I was just too embarrassed to go and tell my doctor what I wanted or or afraid, you know. So I did come to end of me. By the time I came to Overuse Anonymous, I had no clue about the the allergy. I had no clue about addiction. I loved to eat, and food was my best friend, you know. I thought, but it was killing me. I could not stop. I could stop for a little bit, but I always picked that up. Said So for me, I have finally arrived to a place, to uh, an answer to my problem, you know, a higher power that I didn't have before because I tried to use my own will, my own power to put the food down. I had no clue I could turn to God, to a higher power greater than myself, especially with the food. I said, well, I've been trying to control this for 25 years. How this God, how this higher power is going to help me? Well, my sponsor said, well, fake it till you get it, or you know, even if you don't believe, I'll lend you my my higher power, my God, because my God has worked for me all these years. Maybe God will work for you too. Fine. So thank you. I, I just cannot say enough. You know, I'm just so grateful I'm here. And if you're new, keep coming, even if you're struggling. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Amy G., you're up, followed by Lisa D. Did you say my name, Amy G.? I did, Amy. Uh-huh, go ahead. Okay, sorry, I was unmuting. <laughs> Thank you so much. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive eater from Maryland. Thank you so much, everyone. What a wonderful meeting. So for me, what stands out is drink was taking on an important and exhilarating part in my life. When we think of Bill's story, or when I think of Bill's story, I always think about the progression of powerlessness. But what I need to remember and what was reminded to me going through the story is the progression of the mental obsession. It says drink was taking on an important, exhilarating part of my life. I can tell you, like in Bill, like with Bill, my thinking, my thinking was taking on a part of my life, the mental obsession, the crazy thinking that it was okay to do the things that I was doing with food, that somehow I had control, uh, was taking on an exhilarating part. And we talk about it in step 12, in uh, AA 12 and 12, Step, I'm sorry, step one, that we have warped our minds with such an obsession. 
for destructive drinking, in my case, eating, than only an act of providence. To me, providence being the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous can relieve us of it. And that is what was going on with me because what was solidifying in me was the insanity that it was okay to put those binge foods in my mouth regardless of the consequences because I had the delusion. Remember the three Ds, denial, delusion, and defiance of this disease. I had the delusion that I had control because like Bill, at periods of my life, I had succeeded. I had achieved great things. I could use my willpower, my knowledge, my experience to do great things. How is it that I could be powerless over food? Why is it? I mean, one of my biggest lines that I told myself before a binge was, that's okay. I controlled it before. I'll control it again. Watch me, right? Or I can do it. I can diet again on Monday because, you know what, on Monday I'm going to rock and roll because, you know what, I've achieved before and I'll do it again. It's that kind of insane thinking. I mean, we just read the, the last couple of paragraphs out of the alloy of drink and speculation, and I think alloy of drink and my insane thinking, I commenced to forge a weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. How many times did I say, oh, I had control before. I'll do it again. I can start again later. And that's the obsession that had me completely powerless and unable to save myself. Thank God for this program. Thank God for the providence, my higher power, God, in these rooms that finally, beaten and pummeled by this disease, I could admit that it didn't matter whether I achieved in other areas of my life or I had willpower in other areas of my life. Combined with the physical allergy and this crazy, insane mental obsession, my thinking was a liability and was going to kill me. And this is what is also developing in Bill's story. We'll continue to see even insane, just in the next paragraph, more insane reasons to keep drinking regardless of the consequences. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. And Lisa D., you have two minutes. Please share with us. Good morning. This is Lisa D. from New York. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your lead and for everybody who's shared before. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of want to say ditto to everything that's been shared. But in terms of, you know, my life as a compulsive reader, um, the mental obsession began when I was 10 years old. And it um, was relieved um, at, when I entered program uh, 34 years later. But um, in the meantime, it, it took on a life of its own. Food became, you know, my partner, my friend, my solace, my companion. Um, I had great ideas on how to lose weight, gain weight, lose weight. Um, never really wanted to gain weight, but always did. Um, and to try every single thing with the exception of surgery um, to control and to move into that space where I felt like I had everything together. Um, even though I was very successful in my life, in my school, in my career, um, and I am still successful, there came a point where diets didn't work anymore. Nothing worked anymore. I was literally on my knees, sobbing by my bedside, crying, saying, I cannot and I will not look for another diet. I just can't do it anymore. And that was the first time I stepped into the rooms. Um, and um, I, did, I did fall into relapse when I got too confident in myself because self-knowledge is a, is a tricky thing. And 
you know, food likes to creep back up and take a really important part of my life if I let it. So um, I constantly feel like there's a little bit of me that wants to still hold on to and um, keep the keep the food in the in the side pocket, but that pocket has been open. So um, I'm grateful for that, and thank you all for being here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lisa D., and thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Wednesday, May 11th, 2022, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, is 18,943. That's 18943. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Marge O., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Lisa. Good morning. This is Marge O. from Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.